Welcome to Stories with Shrinks, where we over-psychoanalyze characters from your favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Tyler, he, his, him. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. And today, podcasts, podcasts are what brings us together today. Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) Recording that dream within a dream. Yeah, we're talking about Princess Bride. A favorite movie of both of us, I think. Yes, I, indeed. I, I was talking with somebody this week and I was like, oh, that's it's in my top five, at least. Mm-hmm. It's got to be at least in my top five. And uh, yeah, it's just one of the most quotable movies of all time. It's just super funny. I mean, if you haven't seen it, you should. And if you have seen it, I don't need to sell it to you. You know. You know. So I would just say it's you, on Amazon Prime with ads, but you can watch oh, it for free. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that is the streaming service I found it on, at least, so I could watch it for this. Uh, Oh, there you go. Uh, If you're someone in my life who knows me personally, just make some time to come over to my apartment. I have it on DVD Mm -hmm. uh, because it's brilliant and wonderful and amazing. And so we're going to be talking about two characters from this particular universe. But before we do that, we're going to do a quick get to know you question. And as I said, most quotable movie of all time, I think. Almost every line is super quotable. So Jen, Mm -hmm. what is your favorite quote from Princess Bride? Have fun storming the castle. Do you think it'll work? No. It's going to take a miracle. It's going to take a miracle. No, Mm -hmm. I I think I use that a lot when it's just any like major, bye, have fun storming Mm -hmm. the castle. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, my, my favorite quote is, uh, my, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. Mm-hmm. You killed my father, prepare to die. Uh, to the point where it's in my online dating profile, yes. where uh, one of the prompts is, I am looking for, and I put, I am looking for a six-fingered man. When I find this man, I will tell him, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. And it is the one that gets the most engagement, I will say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really funny in that regard. Uh, but the other side of this is sort of like most used quote, I think, mm-hmm. is a different one because I use this quote with clients all the time, even though it's kind of cynical, but it's it's real and realistic. And it's Wesley's quote or the Dread Pirate Roberts quote of uh, life is pain, princess. Anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. Yeah. And I use it with clients, which I know sounds kind of dark. No, it's, it's an important line, though, because so yeah. often we hear, I just want it all the pain, whatever pain is in their life, to just be gone and go away and just never have to deal with it ever again. It's, it's not how life works. Yeah, or I just want to be happy all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's not realistic. There's a lot about living that is suffering. Uh, not that that's a bad thing. And this is the other thing with me. Like, I don't think any feelings are bad, including pain. Mm-hmm. It's just about recontextualizing pain as this is not me enjoying what's going on right now. I would like to change that. How do I change that? How do I grow from it? How do I learn from it? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's always an interesting conversation with clients when we have to talk about pain in this way, because it's like, let's think about pain as a nice thing instead of a horrible thing. And it's, it's always the one that people have to get kind of dragged kicking and screaming into thinking differently about because it's so ingrained in our brains to avoid pain Mm -hmm. but nonetheless we're getting off off topic here uh uh, yeah most quotable movie of all time i mean i could go on and on anybody want a peanut also very good uh never (laughs) 
never going against a Sicilian when death is on the line. Mm-hmm. Also very good. Um, just, it's all so good. I don't think that word think means what you think it means. Like <laughs> we could sit here probably and quote most of this movie mm-hmm. verbatim. Uh, but we won't because we've got a podcast to record. <laughs> so instead, we're going to take you to a wonderful place. We're going to take you to the country of Florin. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do some therapy. Yeah. Because I do believe, Jen, you have a new client. I do have a new client. And with how lighthearted and fun this movie is, I do want to put out a little bit of a trigger warning as we are going to be talking about suicidality, or at least I specifically will be talking about suicidality. Um, And it's a very serious topic. And even though at times it is ignored and made light of in the film, we're going to take it as a serious topic because that's what it is. Um, So with that said, if you're in, you're in a place that you don't want to listen to someone talk about suicidality, feel free to skip ahead. Go take care of you. Um, come back later um, and listen to uh, Tyler's part. But for yeah. right now, <laughs> you've been warned as we are going to be again going to that country of Florin. And I am taking on a unique role of a therapist as I'm more of a handmaiden listening to a princess the days before her wedding and acting as a pseudo therapist in this role as I am seriously concerned as she is talking about suicide. Mm. She does not want to marry um, the prince and has made it perfectly clear that if Wesley doesn't come and rescue her, she's going to kill herself. Very matter of factly, may I add? Yeah, she's very matter. Like, I'm going to kill myself tonight. Mm -hmm. I have a plan. This is going to happen. So, kind of taking on that dual role ship of a therapist and how you'd handle this, and also being mindful of like the film. And we usually put ourselves into the franchise as best as possible of how would Mm -hmm. this person receive therapy. Um, My role is I'm a therapist who happens to be a handmaiden because that's probably how I'd have access to her at this point since Prince uh, Humberdick is so controlling and so isolating of Princess Buttercup. So again, uh, she is a, I would assume early twenties female, cisgender, heterosexual, and is currently engaged to the prince and has made it perfectly clear that she is unhappy, in distress, depressed. And this isn't her first bout of thoughts about not wanting to continue living her life. She talked to me about why she wants Wesley so badly to come rescue her. And it's because it's her one true love. And they met um, when she was just a farm girl and he, he worked on the family farm caring for the horses. And they have the romantic mantra of as you wish. And when she originally thought that he was gone and dead and killed She shut herself away and she went without food or sleep for days on end and contemplated what it would be like to not have to live life without her one true love. So there's a history of this kind of behavior and these thoughts. And she decided at the time that she would live on, but she would never choose to love again. And when she was reunited with her Wesley and once again lost him, she at first thought she could go through with the marriage knowing that he'd be safe but had a horrific dream about the betrayal that this would be to her one true love and after requesting that the marriage would not 
she wouldn't want to marry him. Uh, she's now creating a plan to kill herself. So working with her specifically, we would talk about like, what are the thoughts that you're directly having? And giving her, I always like to conceptualize suicidality outside of just the crisis of we want control over our life. And this feels like the only way we will have true control is to make this decision. And looking at ways that she does have control over her life that maybe don't end in suicide. Is there a way of getting you out of the castle? Is there a way of running away? Do you feel like you have the tools and the, the, the things that you need to escape the prince? And if she were to continue to say, nope, this is it. This is the only thing I want to do. If I can't be with Wesley, if he is in true, truly gone and or dead again, I'm not going to continue living my life. We would then talk more about safety of, do you have a plan? And she does have a plan and it's shown that she would easily take a dagger and stab herself through the heart with it. And given the fact that this is a medieval style setting, she definitely has access to daggers and swords and weapons all throughout the castle. So one of my jobs as a therapist now would be to talk about how would we take away that source in your life? And specifically in this world, I would want to go around her room and look for every single dagger that could possibly be hidden and get it out of her bed chambers and or the honeymoon chambers to make sure she just doesn't have access to any kind of object that could hurt herself or she could hurt herself with and continue to talk to her about alternatives of different ways that we could safely deal with the problems on hand. And if in today's standards, this is when we would start to talk about do we need to get you in a place that could keep you safe? And in this situation, removing her from the castle and getting her outside help would probably be the ultimate solution because it would get her away from the prince and from the situation of getting married and at possible, give us some more time to create a better plan and see if we can reconnect her with her ultimate goal and get her back in ties and communication with Wesley. And we would continue to try to work that plan as much as possible, given the, the setting that we are in though, of how do we keep yourself safe? What are different coping skills that we have? How did you, how did you choose to live on five years ago when you thought he was dead and you didn't think he was coming back? What, what decisions led you to continue living your life? What are things that you did to be able to help get you through that process? And are these things that we could continue doing now? Or do we need new coping skills? Do we need new ways to feel like we're in control of ourselves and in our body? And how do we, how do we continue to balance what is happening with this marriage? And if we are indeed getting married and then also you don't want to get married? Let's get you out of the castle. Let's try to get you out of this situation. And I think the second big part of this conversation would helping her feel seen and heard and valid in those feelings and those concerns. She commonly talks about how she tells people, I'm going to kill myself. And they respond like it's a joke. They respond like she doesn't have any abilities to do so. They respond so passively as if she said nothing at all. 
and giving her validation in those feelings, telling her you want to kill yourself. You do not want to live a life with the prince. You don't want to even take a chance that Wesley could be alive. You just don't want to live a life without him and really meet her where she's at, validate those feelings, help her feel seen and heard in the here and now. So then we can continue to talk about what feelings are coming up for you. What is the plan? How are ways that we can make yourself again, feel more in control of yourself. And luckily in the film, Wesley does return and was able to stop her in that moment of actually going through with an act of self-harm and or death by suicide. And it's never really quite brought up again in the film that this happened, that, you know, you were going to kill yourself for me. And again, made it kind of just light of that this was just a passive thing. It's very Romeo and Juliet style thought pattern of, oh, nope, the guy's back, we're good. Um, but again, finding ways to help her feel empowered without him or the prince. These aren't all or nothing decisions that you are faced with. You have autonomy over yourself and we can find ways to empower you to feel like you do have control of your decisions, control of what you are doing. How do we get you out of this situation? How do we get you out of this marriage safely? As the second point of conversation is even though it's not directly seen, this is a very power and control dynamic relationship, which falls under domestic violence between her and the prince. And the fact that off, off screen for her, she does, he does totally plan on murdering her and using her as a pawn in her, his war games. But, and she does later discover this in the process of getting kidnapped. And we would talk about what happened during that time and learning that your prince just plans to kill you anyway. So I would want to take like autonomy over myself, get her out of this relationship dynamic, create a safety plan, not just for the self-harm aspect or the death by suicide aspect, but the domestic violence aspect as well. Is it safe for you to leave the castle? This man is in a position of power and authority. And how do we get you out of not only the castle, but possibly the country safely so that you can live and be free of fear of him coming to find you, which given this fantasy realm, probably a lot easier said than done and also a lot harder than just, okay, let's go do this. Um, but we would want to give her that that sense of freedom and empowerment and get her safely out of this relationship dynamic. In today's modern terms, we would talk safety plans as in shelters, police reports, uh, possible resources to domestic violence hotlines, giving them information so that they can safely make a decision to leave an abusive relationship in a time where they have the best chance of being able to leave safely and without any harm to self or others and give them the opportunity to get the resources they need to leave uh, a power and control dynamic such as the prince and the princess of flooring. So those are the two big like red flag areas of concern with Princess Buttercup. And aside, once we address the crisis and safety issues, 
they would be processing the trauma of what it was like to have someone return to your life who you thought was dead. What was it like to be kidnapped and not sure what was going to happen to you? And all the things that she survived in just the short period of time that uh, the movie takes place in and give her a chance to process those things. But again, first comes safety needs and really personal safety needs and relationship safety needs for her. And given the fact that this would just be in a short period of time within a, a 10 frame, 10 day t- uh, time frame, and luckily she does, from the movie's point of view, have a happily ever after, we know that she ends up okay. Um, and at this point, if I was her handmaid and I would also be out of a job and I would probably want to be leaving the castle shortly thereafter as well. So that is where I would leave it with Princess Buttercup. Awesome. Yeah, I think the thing that comes to mind for me is how complicated it would be to empower somebody in a society that's structured this way, like coming yes. from the feminist mindset of like- Absolutely. We're going to get you a cloak and a horse, and then we're going to ride out in the middle of the night. We're just going <laughs> right? to keep riding. That is the kind of empowerment here, right? Yes, like, it's we're going not... to get a dagger. We're going to steal as much money as possible, and we are just going to go. We're going to come up with new identities. And... <laughs> Because like the thing is she's in the mess that she's in already because she doesn't have a choice. Like right. the, the prince decides he wants to marry her and that's mm-hmm. the end of the story. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get a, a say. She doesn't have consent right. in this relationship in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it's this really like weird thing of like, how do we empower someone in this society where clearly women don't have a lot of the rights right. that they have today? Uh, and we still don't have equal rights between mm-hmm. uh, the sexes so to speak. Today, and so. this relationship dynamic yeah. is not a fantasy. Of, yeah. And in a lot of different cultures, um, to sometimes to the consent of the individual, and there's nothing wrong with th- the dynamic. But then also, we still do see this dynamic in some cultures nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, um, just how people come together inner power and authority kind of way and um but i mean just historically speaking the idea of the dowry and power relationships and marriages for land opportunities (laughs) is not that old (laughs) we've got to be careful or this is going to become a bridgerton episode if we don't don't stop there uh so with that in mind what made you pick buttercup um, when I was re-watching the film, because I wasn't sure who I wanted to really discuss on, and I felt like a lot of, of the characters had pretty complete arcs in the fact that they kind of got their story told, they processed their stuff, and they, they sought their ends. And when I was watching it, I was like, is anyone going to bring up the fact that she was legit going to kill herself? <laughs> Is anyone really paying attention to the fact that she, like, the the prince's father, I would assume the king, mm-hmm. is all like, oh, you're so sweet. You kissed me when she's like, good night. I'm going to go kill myself now. Bye. To be fair, she tells the king that because he does have, like, a dementia yes. <laughs> mental thing going on. where right. She doesn't want to be stopped. Yeah, she but doesn't want to be stopped. to know. So she tells him. Yes. Uh, which I... I would also argue as a therapist, the fact that she told anybody mm-hmm. is a sign that she doesn't actually want right. to die. Yes. Um, regardless of if it's somebody who can actually stop you mm-hmm. or not. 
wanting to talk about it is a great way of you know, processing that stuff without actually going through with it. And she mentions it multiple times. Mm-hmm. You know, I will be dead before this. I will be dead before this. I'm going to kill myself. And you can see just that look of disappointment that he he wasn't able to say anything about it. Yeah, because he's uh, not lucid. Mm-hmm. And like that, if maybe he were to say, oh, no, sweetie, don't like, what do you need? That might have yeah. been enough. Um, so I thought she was the one who within the story had a moment where she would seriously need some help. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And then my question is, I mean, this is just a sidebar because neither of us did this character. Like what led to Humperdinck being the way he is? Cause his parents are pretty chill. Yeah. The parents seem really, really chill <laughs> and he's a big old dick. Yeah. What happened? What happened, what happened there? there? Were you not uh, hugged enough as a child? Probably, maybe. Um, but yeah, so that, that's just a thing that I thought of as you were talking about that. I was like, yeah, his dad and his mom are both pretty nice. Like, right. I could imagine there was such respect and authority for the dad and never living up to him. And yeah, I possibly. need something to make me my own. So then let's start this war. Sure. And then everyone has to love me. I'm the prince. I'm the prince. And then there's this girl that says, I don't love you. And I'm not going to want to marry you. And I will never love you. Well, screw her. (laughs) Too bad. Too bad. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a small sidebar. Because I know that neither of us are talking about him in detail. But uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening to part one here. We'll be right back after this quick break to go into part two. Hey y'all, this is Jennifer. We wanted to reach out and let you all know that we are on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stories with Shrinks and on Twitter, Shrink Stories. We post before episodes, little sneak peeks about what we're talking about and trying to engage more with our community about the topic. You can find that and join the story with us online. Welcome back to Stories with Strengths, where we are talking about the Princess Bride. I just finished up with Princess Buttercup, who just needs like someone just to care for her during this film. For sure. But Tyler, I Mm -hmm. do believe you as well have a new client today. I do. And I'm taking place a little bit earlier in the movie in Florin. I'm in a town, like a village, but I, I travel to the outskirts uh, to, it's kind of a community-based uh, experience out here because really, what else are you going to do? You have to kind of take it to the people in this time period. And I'm going and visiting with an elderly man, 80s to 90s, possibly. Uh, it's hard to place. And he's also a magic science kind of guy. So he could be much older than he is based on the trope of the kind of character that he is. Uh, He's heterosexual and married, uh, and he's a formal royal miracle worker, now currently working freelance for himself. Uh, And we are talking about Miracle Max, of course. And like I said, I'm bringing my therapy to Miracle Max. First of all, I feel like he would be a very resistant client. He's very stubborn. He's very angry. He's very kind of set in his mindset here of what happened and what that means for him and the value of him. And partially, I think that's because of his life stage, like where he's at as of somebody who's towards the end of their life. And all of a sudden your career got taken away from you. 
Uh, so that's kind of what happened sitting down with him for the first time and just saying like, you know, don't even think a bit of it as therapy. Just tell me the story of what got you here because you're now in this hut in the middle of the woods and you're working freelance as a miracle worker, which is a very interesting line of work. But I just want to know how you got from working in the castle to here. And what does that mean for you? And to really explore like that story of, well, I was, I was working under the old king and I worked with him for, you know, decades. And then his son took power and all of a sudden I was fired and kicked out on my butt. I was like, all right, interesting. And so tell me about like, what's going on for you after that? It's like, well, I, you know, I resent the prince. I don't even want to say his name. I don't want his name brought up in conversation. I hate the dude. Okay, fair, fair. That's a fair, uh, that's a fair reaction given what happened. Uh, and tell me what else is going on for you. And I would just start that conversation like that, just really conversationally and just kind of asking how he is. Not necessarily coming from a place of, I need you to tell me we're here to do therapy. It's super serious, but really just keeping it kind of conversational, keeping it very like, okay, talk to me about your anger. Talk to me about what's going on and letting him open up over time to sort of work on this stuff. So because of that, it's a little more loosey-goosey, my outline of notes and things here, but I have basically three things that I'd want to work on with him, uh, the f and it's in order of depth. So shallow shallowest to deepest. And so the shallowest thing is anger management skills and just very basic anger management skills. And the way that I work at this with people is I say, hey, you've got anger. That anger is normal and valid for what you've experienced. Let's find out what that what we can do with it. Rather than yell at our wife, uh, rather than uh, isolate and avoid and not work with people and try to, you know, not necessarily be super friendly or whatever. Let's find another way we can point that anger, that energy, because anger is super motivated. And again, this is the shallowest version of this. So we're not going into the underlying emotions. We're not talking about that helplessness, fear, or um, hurt that might be under this anger. We're talking specifically about what can you do with this anger energy? Where can you point it? And he's a creative dude. Like he's a man of science, essentially, in a time where science doesn't exist. Uh, because they call him a miracle worker. And he's sort of the wizard archetype for this world. But he makes a pill. Like he doesn't make a spell. He makes a pill with a chocolate coating to bring Wesley back to life. So he's using science and medicine in this weird archaic way. So to kind of go, okay, well, you're creative. You, you know, you have this creative, cognitive, scientific mindset. Is there a way you can take your anger? And instead of saying like, screw the world, screw everybody, I'm going to hide away and be a hermit. Can you use that anger instead to go, I'm going to create the best miracles possible. I'm going to point it and I'm going to show him that he's wrong because that's a more constructive use of that emotion than hiding yourself away from everyone and then work with him on that. And then we, then our conversations would become about what projects have you been working on? What have you been doing, you know, quote unquote, in the garage since we last spoke. And when I work with clients who are older, that's what we talk about. Like, what have you been working on? What are, what are your projects? What are, you know, what's work like if you're still working? If they're retired, it really is like, what are your projects? Because that's what becomes the majority of their life. And so to say like, yeah, what's going on in your garage, Max? Like, what are you doing in there? Well, I found this new way to bring back people who are mostly dead. Awesome. Very cool. 
Very awesome. And how do you make that palatable for them? Well, I coated in chocolate. Sick. Very cool. Uh, and then digging into the next layer down and talking about really what's going on with this anger, what's going on with the isolation and the avoidance, which is he's having a crisis of confidence. He doesn't feel like he is a, he is at the top of his game anymore. He feels like he's losing the one thing that he identified with most, which was making miracles for people. And so because of that, he's self-sabotaging a little bit in his life. When people come to ask him for stuff, he'll be like, okay, I'll entertain the idea. And then as soon as he hears one little thing that he doesn't like, he's like, nope, never mind. I'm not working with you because he's afraid that if he go, comes forward and does the work and it's not good enough, that he's going to fail. He's going to be a failure, what that means for him. And really that's how we're going to start digging into this. I'm going to confront him with my, one of my values, which again, you don't want to impress values on your clients. And I never do. I always start that conversation by saying, this is what I think. And then going, and then saying like, what do you think about that? So I'm going to talk to him about like, what do you like and tell him my value around failure, which is, I don't think failure is a thing. I don't believe that failure exists. And because of that, you know, I think that every time you don't succeed at something, you've learned a way not to do it. You've learned a way to not be that version of that person. And if you still want to be, you're going to try something new. It's going to, you're going to have to get creative and step outside of the box a little bit. You haven't failed, so to speak. You've just learned a way to not succeed. And that is what failure is. It's just learning. And if you come at it from that mindset, instead of I'm going to fail, I'm horrible, I'm not a good miracle worker anymore. It's like, okay, well, I found out a way not to raise the dead there. Maybe I can try this way and it'll be different next time. And working with him to sort of figure out what his niche in miracle working is and how to move forward with this stuff in a way that works best for him. So then after we've worked on crisis of confidence, we've worked on anger management and stuff. We're going to dig down to the deepest thing here, which is this chapter of his life, because he is elderly. He, he definitely is based on how he looks. He's got to be up there. And so he's towards the end of his life. And so we know that that last chapter of living is sort of the meaning making piece, right? Of what have I done with my life? How do I make sense of it? What is the story now that the kind of we're reaching the end of it? What is the story of my life? What does it mean? And working on him with, first of all, just because it's one of the later chapters doesn't mean the story's over yet. And second of all, what is the meaning making of your life so far? You had this career and now it's gone. And now you're working on this other version of what you want to be. And you don't have the chains of a superior telling you, this is the way to do it. This is how you do it. Now you're freelance. You can do whatever you want. Or maybe you retire and you do really whatever you want. And you don't work miracles anymore if you feel like that's not where you want to go. But to really process with him what this final stage is about and what he makes from the meaning of his life so far and how we can apply that to the last couple chapters of his story. And really saying, what are the things that have really been important to you? Yeah, your job was super important to you, but the way it, and the way it ended was not cool. And does that really dictate everything about your life to the point where you can throw the rest of it away? Because you have a wife and you have a playful banter with each other, uh, occasionally you know, running the line on insulting each other. But hey, that happens in marriages that have been together for a really long time. 
and to just kind of say, you know, what other things are there in your life? You've got your wife, you've got, you know, your work, you've got other stuff besides that. What else can we do to look at your life and say, this is really important. This is really awesome. This is really cool. And ignore this last big kind of insult slap in the face. And again, just getting him to a place where he feels okay just going on and moving forward and letting go. Because it's not about not feeling the anger anymore. He's going to be angry at this probably for the rest of his life. It's about noticing the anger, working with the anger, working with that stuff that's under it and that deeper emotional damage, for lack of a better term, that's been you know impacted on him. And then saying, does that damage really decide who I am? Or does the majority of the rest of my life decide who I am? I worked miracles for decades for the, for the king. That's, that means something. Just because his son's a dick and you know, sent you packing doesn't mean that those decades don't have any meaning anymore. You are an incredibly talented, creative, scientific individual. Own that. And I would work, talk with him with exactly that stuff, like boosting his confidence, getting there. And if he can't hold it for himself, that's my job to bring those things up and say, I know this is wounded right now, but you see that you're like this, right? So that is sort of where we would kind of go with Miracle Max. Awesome. Yes. I love that perspective of you. You would first have to sit down and be like, just tell me your story. Like yeah. you are fascinating. Tell me your story. Cause he wouldn't be one just to open up. Well, and male clients in particular are like that. And that's how men tell stories. Like that's how men talk with each other mm-hmm. in life. Right. We don't necessarily, and I include myself in this group because cisgender man, um, even though I am somebody who's a little bit more emotionally open you know, feelings on my sleeves, cries at everything I watch. Uh, It is that thing where men tell each other stories, right? Mm -hmm. That is how we communicate. And it is stories where we get to brag about ourselves or to joke around about ourselves. Like those are the kinds of stories we tell. The the classic example is, well, I caught a fish and it was this big, right? And every time you tell that, (laughs) yeah. And every time you tell that story, your hands get wider apart Mm -hmm. Uh, and you you brag a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, and that is how men primarily communicate with each other. We don't really sit down and ask each other, how are you feeling? Now, to be fair, that's becoming more common, especially with the people in my life, because again, my heart's kind of on my sleeve, so it's hard to hide. But really, it's like, what have you been doing for the last month since I saw you last is really like how those conversations start. And so that's how it is to open up with somebody, especially the, the older you get with men is because they're more traditionally masculine. That's kind of how you get your foot in the door. Absolutely. So the ultimate question then, why Miracle Max? Because yeah. you, you did that real quick. As, as I often do, I jumped on a character. Yeah. Um, mostly one, I just love Billy Crystal. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll just start there. But also because he is such a complex character and we don't really get a lot of right. like resolution with his story. He heals uh, Wesley and gets some of his confidence back, but he's not necessarily fully. And he doesn't know uh, if he heals Wesley. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah, he doesn't know if the, if the miracle works. He right. just puts it in them uh, and sends them on their way. 
So it's like, yeah, he, you know, he's a very interesting character. The crisis of confidence, especially for his age group, I think is super interesting because there are so many people that as they've gotten older have been laid off Mm -hmm. because of their age, have been forced to retire because of their age. And then you're left with going, well, now what? I spent Mm -hmm. the last 30 years of my life doing this thing and now I can't do the thing anymore. So now what do I do? Right. Especially I would say the generation that he would fall in collectively in our time. Yeah. So much of the the career goals were you get a job at 18 and you retire from that job yeah. at 65, 70, 75, depending yeah, okay. on what you want to do. Exactly. In our world, he'd be a baby boomer. And mm-hmm. that was how the world worked back then, right? He would have worked at the same organization for 30 years and he did yeah. in the movie. You know, he would have worked there for 30, 40 years and then retired. But instead he was fired mm-hmm. instead of being forced into retirement. And we don't know the details around the firing other than the prince fired him. So we don't know what was going on there, but it still, from his perspective, is this huge insult, this huge slap in the face. On he was top probably of, working for the prince's dad. He questioned yeah. the prince. The prince said, you're out. Yeah. So it, it, it's just such an interesting story with so many parallels to the people who are currently on the way out of the working class, which are the, the baby boomer mm-hmm. generation. And also not a generation that we've talked about a lot on here. So yeah. I wanted to bring them in. Uh, because we talk a lot about Gen Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z, but we haven't really talked a lot about the boomers. So I wanted Absolutely. to bring in somebody a little bit older. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you like what you are listening to, please leave us a rating on whatever platform you do. If it's stars, thumbs up, a comment about how awesome you think this all is. We highly appreciate it. Please go follow us on Instagram at Stories with Strengths, where we post a bunch of fun stuff for our episodes that come out. And am I forgetting anything, Tyler? I don't nope, think I that's am. It. I think that covers all of it. Thank you all for listening. Take care, everyone. Bye. Stories with Strengths is an entertainment and education podcast. Our views are our own and should not be considered canon or associated with any of the media or universes we discuss. And thank you to Purple Planet Music for our theme song, Phoenix Rising. You can find music for all your podcasting or YouTube needs at www.purple-planet.com. Mm-hmm.